Creative Sandbox Way Podcast, episode 189. Hello, I am Melissa Dinwiddie, and I believe that life is too short not to express the innate creativity inside of you. So I wrote a book called The Creative Sandbox Way, based around 10 guideposts that I developed to get myself out of creative stuck and back to the sense of playful creativity that I naturally had when I was a four-year-old. That book was just the tip of the iceberg. I continue the conversation with this podcast. Let's jump in. My guest this week is Neen James. I first encountered Neen at Heroic Public Speaking Live, which is a conference for public speakers, where she was a presenter. Now, Neen is pint-sized. She's tiny. And as she says herself, you'll hear her say this, she sounds like a five-year-old. But don't judge a book by its cover, because Neen is a font of wisdom. But before we dive into our conversation, I wanted to remind you that my winter Creative Sandbox Retreat is just two weeks away, January 30th through February 3rd. So this is your last chance to sign up. I do have another retreat in the fall. The late uh, late summer fall retreat is in September. But the winter retreat, this is your last chance to sign up. And Creative Sandbox Retreat changes people. Not only Will you get stuff done on your creative projects? One of the uh, participants who has been coming, she's come every single year, actually, Amy, has birthed not one, but two plays at Creative Sandbox Retreats, one of which has been fully produced, and the other one has been workshopped, and she's going to be working on that second play some more at this upcoming retreat. So people get a lot of work done. But not only that, you will become more authentically you. I don't know how else to describe it. This is simply what happens when you combine creativity plus community plus safety, which is key. And I have been creating containers for these three ingredients for years. And it's my passion. And it's one of my superpowers. Now, the winter retreat is very small. It's limited to just seven participants, and we have room for one more. So if this kind of intimate gathering to work on your creative thing in community calls to you, I would love to have you. You can read more and register now at creativesandboxretreat.com. That's creativesandboxretreat.com. And let's start the year making art together. And now, here is my conversation with Neen James, all about the costs of not paying attention and why attention pays. Enjoy. Neen James is the author of Folding Time and Attention Pays. In 2017, she was named one of the top 30 leadership speakers by Global Guru because of her work with companies like Viacom, 
Comcast, and Abbott Pharmaceuticals, among others. Neen, as you will discover, has boundless energy, is quick-witted, and always offers powerful strategies for paying attention to what matters so you can get more done and create more significant moments at work and home. Neen is the kind of speaker that engages, educates, entertains, and delivers the real-world solutions that apply in your organization, your home, and your community. And I am so delighted to have Neen here on the podcast. Welcome, Neen. G'day. What a treat to get to serve your listeners. I'm so delighted we're doing this. I am too. Well, I met you at Heroic Public Speaking, a conference for public speakers, and I was completely charmed by your energy and your delightful accent. We call it an accent here. Of course, to you, it wouldn't be an accent. It's totally normal. So what really intrigues me about what you're doing now is that you're talking about attention. And what you don't know about me is that I have spent years as part of a co-counseling community that is all about giving each other attention in uh, co-counseling, in in listening very closely to each other, just purely listening. Like as co-counselors, what we do is we simply listen to each other. We don't offer advice. We simply listen. And there's something so powerful, as you know, you've just written a book about it, Attention Pays. So I'm really curious. I want to ask you about how you got into what you're doing, but I want to ask you, what got you to write this book? I really learned the lesson of attention from my little five-year-old friend. So I was sitting in the kitchen of my next-door neighbor's house. Her name's Eileen. She had a five-year-old son called Donovan. And Eileen and I were, like many people, just attempting to have a cup of coffee, like, you know, like a quiet cup of coffee. And Donovan, her five-year-old, just kept inserting himself into the conversation. And anyone listening to this who has little people know exactly what that's like, where he just kept asking me all these questions. He was like, Neen, do you like to play outside or in? Oh, I don't know, outside. Neen, do you like cats or dogs? I'm like, oh my gosh, like you could literally hear my eye roll. I'm like, cats. And then he was like, Neen, Obi-Wan or Yoda? I mean, obviously, Yoda. But he kept like, just kept all these questions, questions. And then he got so frustrated with me. And he was like, Neen, you're not listening to me. And he was so upset. He jumped into my lap. He grabbed my, t- my face in his tiny little hands. He turned it towards him and he said, Neen, listen with your eyes. Mm. Like the wisdom of a child. He was five years old and I've never forgotten it. And, you know, it, it sparked in me this realization that we can't manage time, but we can manage our attention. Now, in all of my body of work, I have been known for productivity and focus, but I've always said you can't manage time, you can't manage time, you can't manage time. Because time's going to happen whether you like it or not, right? You and I, we get 1,440 minutes in a day. Time is the great equalizer. Time doesn't care how poor you are, how rich you are, how long you've been in business, what your business card says. It does not care. Time doesn't care because it's going to happen. Your attention, now that's a choice. So what I realized was, Attention was the evolution in my productivity journey, which is why I really focused my body of work on it. But I got to tell you, Donovan, I still see him sitting there with his little hands. And whenever I think, hey, I'm not paying attention, I think of my little Donovan. And I think it's a great lesson for all of us as leaders, whether we are leaders in our home, in our community, in our church, in our temple, 
We need to listen with our eyes. Mm, that's so beautiful. I love it. It's such a great story. It really crystallizes exactly the power of attention. I mean, I remember being a little kid and mommy, mommy, look, watch me, watch me go down the slide, right? Yeah. She's talking to her friends and you know she's not paying attention. You know she's not. <laughs> I mean, there's probably people listening on the podcast who would admit to being guilty of, for example, like maybe their kid is playing sport and they're clearing their emails, right? And then their kid looks up into the stands to see if their parent's there and then they see their parent like on their phone or whatever. Or sometimes as leaders, someone might come into your office and you just keep answering your email. Or maybe you're guilty of sending a text message or checking Facebook while you're driving. Melissa, I don't know if you know this, but nine people die every day because of distracted driving. Like we've made it more important to update our Facebook account than pay attention to the road. That is crazy. Not paying attention literally kills people. Yeah. I was reading that actually in the introduction of your book. (laughs) It freaked me out when I found that statistic. I was like, now more than ever before, more than any other time in history, we need to start paying attention to how attention pays and how it costs. Yeah. Well, the title of your book, I, I love how layered it is. Attention pays. It's got so much meaning. So let's unpack that. Let's talk about how attention pays and how, why it's so important for success. Think about it this way. Like the more we pay attention, the deeper our relationships are. When companies pay attention, they have increased customer uh, repetition, customer retention. When companies pay attention, they attract and retain that top talent. They do the best deals with their vendors because they feel like they're taken care of. When we take care of the planet, we have resources available to us and hopefully for generations to come. When we don't pay attention, there are so many costs associated with that increased divorce rates, increased suicides, increased, you know, deaths on the road. You know, we lose top talent. So employee turnover goes up. We decrease in sales. There are so many costs of not paying attention, not to mention our own health, right? So there's just so many things that cost us when we think about it personally, professionally, and globally. So when I was writing the book, I realized through all the research I did, we pay attention in three ways. We pay attention personally, which is really who deserves your attention. This is about being very thoughtful. We pay attention professionally, which is about what deserves your attention. And this is about being productive. And then we pay attention globally, which is how we pay attention in the world. And this is absolutely about being responsible, being responsible for the resources, whether it is in our community or whether it is the planet. And so we pay attention in three ways, personally, professionally, and globally, which is who you pay attention to, what deserves your attention, and how you pay attention in the world. Mm. Yeah. You know, it it makes me think about how I've just been, uh, as a, having recently started a consultancy, I have been having to learn how to sell, which is a new thing in my life. I mean, we're all selling in various different ways all the time, Um, right? And, but I'm learning, I'm having to learn a new way of selling and really selling is all about relationships. And it's so much about listening. It's so much about paying attention. And I was taking a a class on creative live several months ago and 
listening to some stories from the the teacher who was talking about so many salespeople who just they've got their you know they've got their script and they've got their thing and they you know they know what they have to pitch right and like I don't know be in a sales meeting or be on a call or something and and the person that they're talking to might they'll say like how's your day going and the person might say oh I don't know my cat just died or or something like that and they just plow forward with their pitch it's crazy can you believe that it's crazy. But when you think about selling, like selling, like you say, to me, selling is just a conversation, right? And I believe in systems of attention. We have systems of attention that we use and we teach audiences around the world. And one of them is a system for a sales script. Now, I have sales scripts for all the different kinds of clientele that I serve, but not the kind of script where you're just going to launch in and vomit all over someone about how amazing you are because nobody cares, right? Nobody cares. But I do believe in systemizing thoughtfulness and I believe in systems of attention. And as a salesperson, as a consultant, or maybe there's people listening who are in sales, in retail, or maybe they're producers in insurance companies. There's so many different kinds of creative ways you can sell as well, right? And I think that in selling, you have to be able to position yourself to grab someone's attention and keep it. That's the key. Because people's attention, it's not declining like people say. There's this stupid marketing thing that says we have the attention span of a goldfish. Well, that's just dumb. I don't know about anyone who's listening to this particular podcast who wants to be compared to an attention span of a goldfish or a squirrel. Same thing. So what I do believe to be true based on the research I did for the book, and that is that our attention span is not declining. It's split. And I think what's happening, Melissa, is we split our attention across so many things. And as salespeople, we have to have the ability and be so engaging and so authentic and so curious to solve the issues of the person we're selling to, the conversation that we're in, that they want to pay attention to us. Now, the reason people grab for their phone is because you're not engaging them. The reason that people check the email rather than listen to you is because you're not talking in a way that makes sense to them, that's applicable to them and their world. We have to constantly remember it's not about us. It's never about us. And in a world where it's all, look at me, look at me, look at me on social media, in, you know, conversations, in sales, it's not a, hey, look at me conversation. It's like, how can I serve you? What is it that you need? And do I have a solution for that? If you genuinely have a solution that's very different, Pete Cook uh, is a fantastic friend of mine, a thought leader in Australia, and he talks about the fact that we shouldn't have to convince someone to buy from us. Yeah, We should stand in our conviction that we have the right service or product to offer. And I think it's conviction selling as opposed to convincing selling that is more powerful in today's world. Absolutely. Yeah. And exactly what you said, if, if you are able to be really curious about what is your issue, what's the problem that you're experiencing and how is it that I can help you with that problem? Yes. That's when you can get somebody's attention. I always thought it would be fun to meet Socrates. I think Socrates was one of these leaders who had this ability to be curious about the way that he asked questions. And so even like the Socratic method is a, is a questioning technique of so many 
different kinds of questions. And I think he would have been a fascinating person to interview because I wonder always where is his curiosity from? How does he create such great exploratory questions? And so one of the blogs on my website at meanjames.com is all about the Socratic method and all the different kinds of questions that people can ask. And I think when you become curious and you're willing to listen to your point earlier as you opened up today, if you can sit and listen and then explore whether there is even a fit for you and this particular potential customer, and then be okay if there's not. You see, if there is a situation where someone approaches me and says, hey, can you speak at this event? Because as you know, the majority of my work is keynote speaking. And so I will listen to what they need, listen to their theme, listen to their audience. And then I have to also make sure that I'm a fit for the people in that room, that I'm a fit for what that audience stands for, that that meeting planner has certain values and mine in line with this as well. And believe me, there have been times where I've said, you know what, I just don't think I'm a fit for this, but I will recommend another speaker for you. And I've declined invitations because I haven't believed in the values of that organization or they stand for something that I don't support or maybe it's because it feels like that audience would be better served by someone else because I'm not desperate for the sale, I think that's different too. If you're not desperate for the sale, I think you show up very differently. So whenever I interview someone who wants to work with me and hire me for their convention, for their conference, for their leadership meeting, I'm also exploring, am I even a fit for you? And so going in very curious, I remember once I was uh, invited to pitch, I say in inverted commas with my fingers, Um, I'm doing like quotes, for those of you listening, I was invited to pitch to a ver- to one of the biggest uh, technology companies we have in the world. And so she invited me to come in and she'd flown in someone from Japan, Amsterdam, Germany, and the US. So her leadership team was sitting around the table and I walked into this beautiful, fancy boardroom and they said, okay, we're ready for your presentation. Like, where's your slides? I said, oh, I have no slides. And I said, and I have no presentation. And they said, what do you mean? And I said, I'm not here to pitch you. And they were like, two of them are furious. Like, what do you mean? You're like, we've flown in from around the world, blah, blah. Once they calm down a bit, I said to them, I'm just here to see if there's a fit. What was funny about this situation was my potential client said to me, Neen, no one's ever come into this company uh, with that approach. And I said, my approach is just to ask you questions to see if there's even a fit for us to work together. Because what they wanted me to do was work with their leadership team at a very, very high level. And I had to see if I even wanted to do that. And by the end of the meeting, thankfully, they had calmed down. Thankfully, they saw I wasn't being disrespectful. I was truly curious to see if I could design a leadership program that would be very beneficial and very custom for them. Now, when you're dealing with a very senior strategic thinker, they don't need your standard PowerPoint deck. They need to have a conversation with you. And so anyway, I won the account. It was probably the most I've ever been paid for a day's work. And it's interesting to me that one of the things that made me stand out was the art of listening, the art of asking questions and having absolutely no slides. I love that. I love that so much. You've got to stand out. If you want to get attention, do something different. Don't do what everyone else has done, you know? Yeah, for sure. And I think salespeople in particular... I believe in scripts. I do believe in systemizing things. I do believe in having standardized slide decks for consistency of brand. So I'm not anti any of those things. But I do believe if you really want to get the attention of a potential buyer, you've got to get creative. 
that one of my largest clients I won because of a jar of peanut butter and jelly. And uh, I was very new to this country and uh, it's a major, it's probably the biggest cable company in the world. They happen to be in the city outside where I live. And I had learned that the head of learning and development happens like peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. So I sent him a jar of peanut butter and jelly just with a note that says, hey, if you ever have time for lunch, I'd love to enjoy this with you. And he said that peanut butter and jelly sat on his desk for weeks. Everyone asked him about it. I finally had lunch with him and they are still one of my most favorite clients. And that's all it was. It was literally a jar of peanut butter and jelly. And yet that one little jar has led to some fantastic opportunities for me to serve at multiple levels in their organization. So I think you've just got to do something sometimes that's a little different, be inquisitive, find things out. I mean, these are some of the things I've done, but I think if everyone is zigging, you want to zag and find an alternative way to show someone you pay attention to them and you care about them. And how did you find out that he liked peanut butter and jelly sandwiches? I interviewed his HR director. Ah, clever. Mm. Well, what I want to know, Nina, is how did you get into this line of work to begin with? How did you end up becoming a speaker and doing this kind of work with companies? I didn't even know it was a real thing. Like I was a corporate governess. I grew up in corporate business in Australia. I worked in retail banking, telecommunications and the oil industry. A lot of chicks in oil in Australia. And I was in a, uh, I had joined a startup company. We dressed this startup company for sale, romanced all the venture capitalists, sold it across to the new company. And I went across to the new company. And uh, in my journey, I was always the girl who was always tapped to do the training, give the company update, pitch the board, romance the venture capitalist. Like I was always the girl who was always that person who, and I loved being on my feet. And someone said to me, you know, you should be a speaker. And I remember asking them, I was like, can you make any money doing that? And apparently there's a whole industry, not just an industry, there is a National Speakers Association. I mean, in this country, there is an association for everything. That That is what I did learn. But yeah, in Australia, I joined the National Speakers Association and I started to see that there were people who were making their living by changing the world, like through their speeches, through their work. And so because I'd grown up in corporate, I knew corporate, and I had an I had a reputation in corporate for someone who could just get things done. Like give me a project was behind and bring it on track. Need some fundraising done, I'd be able to raise the money. I could sweet talk anyone to do anything. I could get people to write checks. I could get team members to work overtime to get things done. I just had a reputation for someone who could get things done. And I didn't think it was unusual, Melissa, because often the skills we have are very intuitive to us, right? Yes, And absolutely. so it's not until someone asks you how you do it, you think, well, isn't everyone productive? Like, can't everyone manage projects? Can't everyone get stuff done? Why isn't everyone organized? You just think to yourself, these skills you have, everyone else has. But I realized not only do they not have them, but they will pay you to teach them how to do it. And so I really, I set up a training company initially. I bought one of my team with me and he would go out and do the training and I would do the business development. And then I kept getting, getting asked to speak at conferences, like best practice conferences, industry conferences. And more and more, I found myself often being offered like the breakout spot and then a keynote spot. And so my business evolved. And so I have really two profit centers in my practice right now. 
keynote speaker is the majority. That's about 70% of the work that I do is traveling around the globe speaking for amazing audiences and working with my corporate leadership teams. And then the second profit center is one-on-one executive mentoring. I work with very, very senior leaders who need a confidential source that they can bounce ideas around with, especially if they need to restructure or create. My brain has this ability to be very, very strategic, but also tactical. So I, I can live in both places, but for executive leaders, they sometimes need a little bit of a push about what they need to be paying attention to and how they can do that in a unique way. And being so objective by coming from outside and working with so many senior leaders across so many different industries, I have a perspective that they don't always have access to. And so that's been really lovely. So that's the other profit center that I run. And so for me, I got into this not even knowing it was like a real thing. And, you know, I. I get paid to talk for a living. I mean, I was the kid in school who was constantly kicked out of class because I talked too much. Every report card said to my parents, like, Nina's a good student, but she talks too much. I mean, my gosh, if my teachers could see me now. And then the other thing is, if your listeners have not already realized this, I sound like I'm five. So imagine when I decide to be a professional speaker, every single person, including the president of the National Speakers Association, said I would never make any money with this voice. Like, you will never be paid to speak. So that's also very fascinating because it was only my mentor at the time, who's now a dear friend and one of my favorite people on the planet, he's the chairman of Thought Leaders Global, his name's Matt Church, he was the only person who told me to stay with my voice. It was authentically me. And he said, and you will, you will be able to change the world with that voice. So it's fascinating that sometimes the things that are so unique to us also become the things that people remember. Obviously having an accent helps, you know, we joked about that. And, but yeah, I sound like I'm five. To our listeners, and very significantly older than that. I'm like a little old lady. <laughs> <laughs> well, what I love about your story is how you have channeled like all of these things that are uniquely you, your unique sort of skill set, your voice, your accent. You're, you're petite. Like people can't see you. I can see you because we're on a video <laughs> call. The people in listening to the podcast don't realize you, you're like this little, you're like a penny. You're like this tiny little thing. <laughs> Maybe little, but a little wider. I am 4'10 <laughs> and a half. And now that is very important for people to know. Now, and I live in stilettos because I'm so tiny. But I think that's what's fascinating too, Melissa, because when you speak on a really large stage, then people can just see you on camera, right? So you're iMag. So for those of you who are listening along, it just means they're projecting you up onto the, the cameras and uh, onto the screens. And so people can't actually get any dimension until you come off stage and they meet you and they're like, oh my God, you're so tiny. Like you're so tiny. <laughs> and people, like when you have a big presence, they don't realize that I'm like less than five feet. So. <laughs> <laughs> so what are what are your topics that you typically speak about? I mean I I'm I'm sure you're speaking about attention pays right now, but what do you typically speak about? You know, I used to talk a lot about folding time, which is the name of one of my books, which was really very much around how do you get more done? How do you be more productive? So folding time is a very popular program. Attention pays is definitely the keynote we've been doing for the last few years that people are loving because they're realizing how much we need to pay attention 
Something that more and more audiences are asking for is we have a very unique program called Idea Shaping. And Idea Shaping is how do you use models to be able to grab and keep the attention of people where you're trying to showcase a process or a thought, especially thought leaders or organizations who want to be able to very quickly show their clients, their patients, their members, you know, where whatever it is in visual models. It's a very high level of thinking. But idea shaping is a very popular uh, program for smarty pants type people. And so, Melissa, you've seen me do this on stage where I pull someone out of the stage and draw a contextual model using their intellectual property. I do the same thing for organizations. And what's been interesting in organizations is that they've used that model to uh, explain to a customer how their process or product works. They've used it internally as marketing collaterals, internal marketing collaterals. I've seen my models used in training programs to teach people about how things work. And so the way my brain works, if you're listening along, is as you start to explain something to me, whether it's a process or your values or what your company does, I start to sort your commentary in shapes in my brain. And so I it's bizarre. Thank goodness no one can see what's going on in my head. But often when you show someone, like I've drawn so many models for, you know, hundreds of people across the planet, when you show them how brilliant they are in a model, it totally changes the way people think and it elevates your message. So idea shaping is definitely one that has been booked a lot for next year. And it's something that I just love doing. And it's very organic. So I can pull anyone out of an audience. I can create a model with any single audience member. And I can't do magic, but that's kind of like my only version of magic. You know, you've got people listening to this who are very creative, Melissa, and they can probably paint and create and and do all of those things. That is not a skill I have. But it's my form of magic is show someone how brilliant they are, show someone how powerful their ideas are. I actually did not get to see you do that because I was on a different track at Heroic oh, Public Speaking when you did that. And I was so pissed <laughs> <laughs> because I really wanted to be there, but I was on the the alumni the track. Alumni track. And yeah. we got to do something else, which was which was really great. But I was like, dang it, I really wanted to do Dean's <laughs> contextual models. What you do with that is very similar to what I, for the past, uh, I don't know, maybe about a year now, I've been doing visual recording. Oh, that uh, is like, the coolest skill. I, it I, is. I, oh my God, I have such mad respect for you. People it's really cool. Well, don't have respect for me. Oh my don't, God. Don't have respect for me yet because I'm a baby beginner at it. But uh, I, I had my very first gig for uh, an annual meeting uh, that my synagogue uh, board had their, their board retreat and I was shaking in my boots, but they loved what I did, but it's the same thing. It's taking concepts and making them visual. Mm -hmm. And it is something I am passionate about. I love doing, and I'm, and I wish that I had had a chance to see you take an audience member and turn your concepts into it. If I did it and you were there doing the visual recording, like that would be even more fun. (laughs) So sometimes my meeting planning clients have hired someone to, you know how they sometimes capture keynotes and they have a person who's drawing and the audience can see it. And I'm always fascinated. Usually my uh, Louboutins make it onto there and usually my crazy brain makes it onto there somehow. (laughs) (laughs) But I do love that skill. And I think too, when you think about this as a listener to this podcast, 
it is vital that regardless of what message you have for the world, that you have a way to represent your ideas you know, in an audio form that people will process and understand. So in an actual model of some description, because some people that you serve are very strategic in their thought process. They might use more of the left hemisphere of their brain more, and so they love that. It's also really important to have a metaphor for the work that you do because when you can explain things in a metaphor, metaphors are memorable, repeatable, and retweetable. And so I believe that when you're sharing a message, it needs to come from a place of context, which could be a model, it could be a metaphor, very high level thinking. Metaphors are really great for your right brain hemisphere people. You need to have a concept when you're talking. What's your point? In my case, it's pay attention. Like, what is your point? But then you also need to have some content that sits behind it. And, you know, the tools of the left brain hemisphere person who might be more tactical than strategic, they love a good process. They love a rhetorical question. You know, they love to see some statistics or data to support it. But the right brain hemisphere person who tends to be you know, maybe more on the tactical side, they love a story. They love to be able to hear examples and case studies, maybe it's ancient history, maybe it's current events, maybe it's world news. So even in our conversation so far, you've heard me describe contextual models. You've heard me make a point about why we need to pay attention. You've heard me use stories from current events and, you know, Socrates as an example. And so I think as presenters, no matter whether you do it for a living like I do or whether you are someone who pitches as a salesperson or maybe you give a sermon at your church or your temple, however it is, we are constantly communicating and our job is to be master communicators by being able to appeal to the context, the concept and the content. There's a model in itself, three C's, but we also need the ability not just grab someone's attention, we need to be able to keep it. Amen. <laughs> yes. And, and if you can make it visual, yes, it is going to be so much more sticky. Yeah. Visual, audio, kinesthetic. Like people love to get themselves involved in your thinking, give them ex- exercises or things they can try or role play or scripts. You know, there's so many learning styles. If you think about Gardner's nine learning styles, you know, audio is one way people are listening to podcasts, but you've appealed to the visual person who might want to watch the actual video. You also need to have things they can do, calls to action, which appeal to them. I also love, you know, if you can appeal to someone, the gustatory, like the taste, if you can appeal to the olfactory, like smell, all of these different elements are vital because it's so different for so many people. I'm not a very good audio learner. So when I listen to a podcast, it's generally when I'm getting ready for work in the morning because I'm doing something else or I'm driving, but I can't just sit and listen to a podcast and take notes. I'm just not that girl because my mind will wander somewhere else. But if it's with another activity... I seem to process the information differently, right? Mm-hmm. And so when you think about your learning style, how do you absorb information? So many people remember visuals. They also, and another way to think about this is they remember visuals like a metaphor because they see the picture in their mind. Yeah. If, if I tell you that all the meeting planners describe me as the energizer bunny for their meetings, you instantly think of the little pink Duracell bunny beating on their little drum. That's me, like same, same. And so when you think of having a metaphor for the work you do or an analogy, something that people can understand, it makes a huge difference. Yeah, absolutely. Wow. So my gosh, so many things to think about here. Well, okay. I think we have time for maybe 
another question or two before we get to our something's cool. So I have a couple of big questions here, pretty juicy ones. How do we define what matters most? You know, I think that there is no formula I can give you. There's no prescription to this. But another way to think about this, Melissa, would be sometimes it takes us suffering an illness or sitting at the bedside of someone in a hospital or attending the funeral of a friend before we realize and we stop and think, well, what's really important to me? And what I don't want for your listeners is for them to have to go through some emotional crazy event before they realize what's really important to them. And so what I want people to consider when they're answering this question for themselves is, you know, what kind of goals do they have set out for themselves and the people that they care about? What And that will direct your attention. If, for example, you're early in your career and moving ahead is really important to you, you might be investing all your attention in studying and learning and networking. Maybe you're on the other end of your career and you're quite established and you are more about giving back and you want to be able to serve in your synagogue or your church or your temple or in a charity that you support. And so your attention is going to be directed to maybe those type of activities. One's not better than the other. They're just different. And so I have no right to give anyone a formula, but I can tell you what's important to me. What's important to me is that I stand in service of the audiences that I get the privilege to be with. That I And that requires responsibility for me. It requires me to be responsible for the way I take care of my health. I spend a significant time traveling and I need to make sure that every time I stand in service of an audience that the best version of me stands there, most energetic, most healthy. So health is important to me. And so I invest my attention and my resources accordingly. But ultimately, I could never do what I do without the people that I care about in my life. And so it's not just that, you know, the love of my life, who at the time of this recording, we've been married 29 years. Now, I know I sound like I'm five, but I'm significantly <laughs> older than that. And it's like legal to get married at 10 in Australia. Um, but I think for me, what's important to me is going to be very different to the people who are on this, you know, particular call. And so I think we get to choose that. For me, it's very much about I feel very called to do the work that I do. I feel very called to get the world to pay attention because when we pay attention, relationships are deeper, companies make more money, we take care of the planet. Now, understanding that this is something that's really important to me, that's going to drive my behavior. I'm going to make sure I'm always prepared for my speeches, I take care of my health, and I'm surrounded by people I love. Not necessarily in that order. It's just that they are all very, very connected. Yeah, I love that. Well, uh, I think you said you brought something cool to share. Oh, I did. Excellent. Show and tell? Yeah. So I love coffee, and I am the girl who needs a really strong cup of coffee every day. I wish I wasn't, but I am. I've tried to take myself off, but it doesn't work. So what (laughs) I discovered was uh, maybe 12, 18 months ago, I had heard of this thing called matcha. And I had tried, for those of you who don't know, it's like super fancy tea, but it's high, high quality. And then I, some of it would taste disgusting. So I was like, how do people drink this stuff? And then I discovered a brand called Co-Matcha. Now, my something cool is I have this fabulous little matcha kit, which you can just buy on Amazon, by the way. But here's what's cool. It's got like this little wooden scooper, which is just a fancy spoon. Let's be very honest. 
But when you put a little bit of the matcha powder in and you put in a tiny bit of water, this little whisk, I have a fancy little bowl, see it's got a lip on it, you whisk it up and it makes like a little latte. It just happens to be green. So if you whisk it up and then you add the water and then when I pour it into the cup, I have myself a little cup of matcha. It's how I start every single day. I travel with this little kit, which sounds silly, I know, but I love it and the health benefits of matcha are insane. People can just go and have a look at them themselves. But even if you've tried matcha and you think, oh, this is awful, you have to try this brand. Because this is, and I've done my research, but this one, Co Matcha, this is my favorite. Co and I'm not even sponsored by them. I should be sponsored by them. Co Matcha. <laughs> and it's C O M A T C H A. And you can follow them on Instagram. They're really cool little brands. Very, very high quality. And it always makes like a little foam. So I get super excited with myself when I drink like my little green latte every morning. And I love it. You've never and tried matcha, try it. Do you, and do you put milk in it like a latte? Oh, me, no. It's just water. I think, I think some people put like, if you want to be like insanely healthy, you could probably put like oat milk in it or something. But I don't, I don't do any form of dairy. I mean, I love it pure as it is. You can also make it cold. So... I've put some in a mason jar, like trying to be like really trendy. And then I like, put some water in it and then shake it up. And then I add ice cubes. So I've done it cold and I love it as well. Whereas other brands I've tried cold. So anyway, I'm like a little bit of a matcha convert, but it's this co-matcha that does it, I think. You could probably add, and I'm not talking about the matcha you get at Starbucks because that's probably just pure sugar. This is very, very good for you. Very cool. Thank I know, there you go. Wow. Tell. Cool. I love it. I'm going to have to try that. Well, Do my, it. You love it. My something cool this week is a clothing item. I am also a convert. So I have a treadmill desk, as my listeners probably know, and my old yoga pants were just in really bad shape. And so <laughs> I really needed some new yoga pants because... I need comfortable, stretchy pants because I you know this is a public service announcement for many people who wear their yoga pants in public. They need to pay special attention to what you're about to say. This is a PSA. So I've been looking for new yoga pants and I kept seeing these ads for these beta brand dress pant yoga pants. And I finally decided to take a gamble. And so I ordered a pair of the original boot cut in black. And I love them. And I now own five pairs of beta brand dress pant yoga pants. Wow, I bought that's the, commitment. Well, f- first I bought the, the boot cut and I love them. And then I bought the crop and I took the, the boot cut and the crop to Paris with me. And that's all I wore. Well, I also had this um, skirt, you know, this mini skirt that I wore sometimes too, but I wore them basically the boot cut I wore all over Paris. I love them. If you have expectations of pants, you will be disappointed. But if you have expect, cause they don't have pockets, but if you have expectations of yoga pants that just happen to look like pants, you will be so thrilled. Are you going to put the, the link in the show notes? I will absolutely put the link in the show notes. Yes. I love, I love these so much and I don't get a kickback. I don't have an affiliate link or anything like that. So now I have the black boot cut, which are a little more flared than a regular boot cut. They're a little more like flares, but I love them. The black crop, the black straight leg, which I'm wearing right now, 
the twill straight leg, <laughs> which is khaki. They come in a zillion different colors. And the black skinny leg. Wow. And they come you in- are a convict. Oh my God. I love these so much. They even now have some that do have pockets, although I don't own any of those yet. I am so in love with these dress pant yoga pants. The only thing that would improve them is if they actually did have pockets. But again, I haven't ordered the ones with pockets. So that's my something cool. I now actually have enough pairs of yoga pants that I can wear them all the time and not have to worry about it. So that's my something cool. I love it. <laughs> See, look how healthy we are. Yoga, matcha. Yoga, matcha. You can ever want. We are set. So, <laughs> Neen, how can people find you? Well, fortunate for me and for your listeners, Melissa, there is only one Neen James online. N-E-E-N-J-A-M-E-S dot com is my website. Neen James on Twitter, Neen James on Instagram, which is where you really get to see the behind the scenes of my whole life. Anything that we've talked about today, you can find in the book Attention Pays and you can find all of that on neenjames.com. Beautiful, easy breezy. I love it. Well, Neen, thank you so much for taking the time to come and share your wisdom and your delightful voice (laughs) with me and my listeners. It's been really fun to get to know you a little more and to talk with you today. Thank you. Thank you for the privilege of serving your listeners. I was delighted to be invited. Thank you so much. That's it. That's a wrap. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Neen James. Let me know if you resonated and connect with me on LinkedIn or Instagram. I'm uh, at a underscore creative underscore life over on Instagram. Uh, you know, Melissa did but he wasn't available, whatever. It's kind of long also. Anyway, to dive deeper and meet other creative, open-hearted, like-minded women from all over the world at every stage of the creative journey, join me in the Creative Sandbox community. Support, encourage, and learn from each other. Find inspiration every day in our online forum, which is not on Facebook with all the distractions that are happening over there, but on a private, mobile-friendly network. And your membership includes my flagship seven-day e-course, Creative Sandbox 101, which is the course that inspired my book, The Creative Sandbox Way. And for a limited time, membership is half off at just $10 a month. You can check it out over at creativesandboxcommunity.com. That's creativesandboxcommunity.com. And I would love to welcome you inside. I have conversations there that I don't share on the podcast or the blog. It's where I share like the behind the scenes stuff that's going on in my life, including like clutter busting of my studio, (laughs) things like that, pictures I don't share anywhere else. It's my inner circle. So uh, creativesandboxcommunity.com. And if you're getting value out of this podcast, share it with a friend. And I would be super appreciative if you would take a moment to hop on over to iTunes, the Apple podcast player, and leave a rating and review. If you don't know how to do that, I got you covered. I have step-by-step instructions over at, it's a new URL, you guys, because uh, website issues, Melissa Dinwiddie dot com slash iTunes hyphen review. That's Melissa, M-E-L-I-S-S-A, Dinwiddie, D as in David, I-N as in Nancy, W-I-D-D-I-E dot com. 
slash iTunes hyphen review. And if you email me, let me know you left a review and how the podcast has made a difference in your life. That's how you can apply to be considered for the listener spotlight. That's how you can get on the show. We'll have a really fun, relaxed conversation, and you will get to be featured on the podcast, just like Neen James was. Pretty cool. And if you don't know what to write, here is an example. Here's what Lifestyle Rebel just wrote yesterday. Amazing, inspiring, and encouraging. Five stars. Lifestyle Rebel wrote, that's the subject. Lifestyle Rebel wrote, I've been listening to Melissa's podcast for a while now and can't stop recommending it to all my creative friends. Melissa's podcast helped me when I struggled with my own creativity and when I hit a block along the way. Every creative person needs to listen to this podcast. Thank you, Lifestyle Rebel. What a fabulous review. I really appreciate that. Awesome. So what was that? Three sentences? Not that big of a deal. Super easy. Anyway, thank you so much, Lifestyle Rebel. And thank you in advance to anybody else who is willing to tap their little fingers over to iTunes and leave a review. That is it for this week. Until next time, thanks again for joining me. And as always, go get creating. Subscribe at creative sandboxway.com slash podcast.